The industry is going to a model where the OEMs are establishing long-time relationships with the users of the vehicles and in a more and more recurring business model. That's what we clearly see across the board. Now, if you want to do that, you absolutely need the capability in the vehicle to execute payments, to charge for the service on the spot in the car. And it is something that needs to be built into the car. All of this, obviously, with a strategic view that once the cars are driving, driving on the motorways in a highly automated, if not autonomous fashion, how do you spend your time while sitting in the car? And then as a consumer, you will buy things and the automotive companies obviously want to make sure that that payment process goes through them. So that's kind of the strategic context of where we are. You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? If you enjoy these interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. So enough of the intro, let's get straight into today's episode. This week, we meet up with Hans Pufogel, COO of Parkopedia. This is a natural follow-up to a previous episode on in-car payments with Mercedes Pay that I did a couple of weeks ago. I find the transformation of the automotive industry totally fascinating. It's quite incredible how fast things are moving, both in terms of the migration from fossil fuel to EV vehicles, but also in terms of the emergence of highly connected cars capable of supporting all kinds of in-car commerce use cases. Founded in 2007, Parkopedia has become a key player in this emerging market. It is the world's leading connected car service provider, used by millions of drivers, car manufacturers, and other organizations. And it's not just for parking, as the name implies. Today, Parkopedia helps drivers find and pay for petrol, fuel, and EV charging stations, road tolls, and other connected car services in over 20,000 cities across 90 countries. In our conversation, we discuss how important and integral Parkopedia's in-house developed payment processing platform has become to the Parkopedia solution. In particular, I was struck by how much back-end complexity the Parkopedia team have managed to solve for, providing technical, operational and contractual aggregation of all stakeholders across the connected car value chains for a wide variety of use cases. We discuss a lot besides, so I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Hans. Welcome to the uh, podcast, Hans. How are you doing? I'm absolutely fine. How are you? I'm good. A lot to cover today. Particularly keen to, to look at the driver survey that I believe you recently conducted and the insights from that in terms of in-car commerce. But before we get into that, perhaps you could just provide a, a short personal intro and then also about Parkopedia. What, what does Parkopedia do exactly? Yeah, so my name is Hans Pufogel. I'm the COO of Parkopedia. I've been with Parkopedia a little bit more than 11 years now. And at Parkopedia, I'm effectively responsible for sales, marketing, partnerships, in particular also with payment partners on a global scale and the plus our overseas activities, as we call it. So activities outside of the UK. Okay. Tell me about Parkopedia at a high level before we go into the detail. What, what does Parkopedia do? Yeah. So Parkopedia was founded almost 16 years ago initially as a provider of parking data, as the name would suggest. But actually what Parkopedia does is connecting drivers with inventory. 
and inventory are paid POIs. This is navigation lingo, so points of interest for drivers, and that could be parking, and that's where Parkopedia started, but it could also be a charging location. It could be a tolling gantry. It could be a petrol station, or as uh, you would say in America, a fuel station. Yeah, so what we do is we connect drivers with the, the inventory, and we do that on different levels and have been doing so for almost 16 years now, starting out with parking as you know the name suggests, but we've added other what we call domains to this, domains that are necessary for a vehicle to be operated efficiently. Right. So from a driver's point of view, the way I would understand it would operate, it would be a user interface that I would interact with inside the car and I'd be able to find a parking slot and other services. And then crucially, and why you're on the podcast today, obviously, is that I could pay for those services inside the car, interacting with the user interface. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's the idea. So we started out just with data. So information for the driver to make better educated uh, choices in terms of where to go, which routes to take, et cetera. And that's largely right. uh, uh, navigation, yeah. but that has changed. And Parkopedia started with in-car parking payments in 2014 in mm -hmm. a project with Volvo at the time. And since then, we've been through a fairly steep learning curve. And today we're providing an in-car transaction and payment platform for a number of automotive OEs, so car manufacturers across numerous brands in Europe, in China, and in North America. Our partners are the service providers. Those could be mobile parking payment operators, right. like Easy Park in Europe, Park Mobile in the US, Passport, Flowbird, those companies. It could be other parking companies such as Arrive in North America or Spot Hero in North mm. America or Just Park in Europe or Parky Meter in Europe. Or, mm. There's a long list of partners that we have. We don't have the time for me to list all of them. Yeah. And then we also work with partners in other domains, in the charging domain, in tolling and in fuel. So that's that's really good to set the scene, right? So I think that's, that's great. So obviously this is part of a major transformation for the automotive industry. Give me a sense of, of how much transformation the industry is going through. Well, it's a fundamental disruption. It's mm. a tectonic shift in paradigm, if you will. Mm. In the past, cars were built out of steel, rubber, and a little bit of software and shipped. And then the uh, car manufacturers more or less forgot about them. Mm. I'm simplifying, obviously, and our customers will uh, not be pleased necessarily when I simplify as much, but uh, that was the basic idea. Mm. Now things are changing fundamentally because now the vehicle is software first, software defined, and then we build the sheet metal and the rubber around it, which makes a fundamental difference also in terms of business models that are associated because all of a sudden you can convert hardware into a feature on demand, into a service. The vehicle you ship is not necessarily the product and the service that um, you will have as a driver, as a user in a year from today, in two years, because over the air updates will enable additional features, will make it a more complete product, uh, will add features, et cetera. 
And all of this requires new business models. The industry is going from a model where they sell the vehicle to a dealer who then sells it on to a, an individual or a company to a model where the OEMs are establishing long-time relationships with the users of the vehicles and in a more and more recurring business model. That's what we clearly see across the board. Tesla kind of setting the pace here, giving the example to the industry and also showing that a recurring business model in mobility leads to much better valuations and stock prices cool. than the traditional model. And that's the reason why the entire industry is moving towards a model that is software defined, so software defined vehicle and uh, recurring business models wherever possible. Now, if you want to do that, you absolutely need the capability in the vehicle to execute payments, to charge for the service on the spot in the car, and ideally without using a mobile device or do it via the phone or whatever. So it is something that needs to be built into the car. And so we then look at this from, from a strategic perspective as there, that there are three different types of merchants that will be served by in-car payment platforms, which will be ubiquitous in every vehicle going forward because the industry needs it. First is internal merchants. Those are the merchants that are selling features or services of the uh, car manufacturer itself. As I mentioned earlier, feature upgrades, additional miles for your leasing contract, insurance, whatever the case may be. There's a long list of things. Then there are external merchants that are vehicle-centric, so that are necessary, that provide services or products that are necessary to operate a vehicle. And that's obviously fuel. So it could be gas or uh, electric energy. It is um, parking, it's tolling, and those are the core um, services that the vehicle needs uh, to operate, regardless whether it's an EV or um, an internal combustion engine vehicle. And then there are passenger-centric services that are potentially also future services, but that are currently not critical and where the competition for an in-car platform, payment platform is much more, it's much bigger and more difficult for the OEM to handle and those are food services, quick serve restaurants, music, entertainment, Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever. There's a long list of additional services. The video games you could come up with, again, a long list of services for potentially in-car payments. All of this, obviously, with a strategic view that once the cars are driving on the freeways or on motorways in a highly automated, if not autonomous fashion, how do you spend your time while sitting in the car? And then as a consumer, you will buy things and the automotive companies obviously want to make sure that that payment process goes through them. So that's kind of the strategic context of where we are. Great. And look, let's dig into the, the payment side shortly. I mean, that's, that's been a great description of what I might describe as a sort of supply side from a car manufacturer's point of view. Let's talk a bit about the sort of demand side. I mean, the consumer perspective. I understand recently you conducted a, a global or driver survey this year. Perhaps we could discuss the outcome and the, the insights you gained from that survey. We actually, we do that every two years. 
We skipped 2021 because asking drivers in a COVID year didn't make a lot of sense. So we had the previous one in 2019 and now this one in 2023. There are some really interesting outcomes. For example, 60% of drivers want vehicle-centric services, payment services in the car. And that's a lot more than drivers asking for food or other passenger-centric services in the car. They want the car to be able to pay for core functionality that is uh, needed. Um, when you look at um, EV, for example, the EV drivers want their vehicle to pay charging for them. They don't want to mess around with RFID cards or 25 different you know, mobile apps to pay for their charging. They want the car to do it. And so that's particularly obvious or evident in North America, where 68% of the drivers want parking or want to be able to pay parking through their car. And 81% of the EV drivers want to be able to pay charging from their car. Now, that's something that the industry is addressing. It's called plug and charge, but that's still a way out and it needs to be part of an overall solution, not just for charging, but for other services as well, such as parking or tolling. So what we see is that consumers want their cars to be payment enabled. It doesn't necessarily mean that they want to use it for every payment, but they want it to be payment enabled. And there are certain services that are clearly preferred. And those are the vehicle centric services as we call them. And that's particularly um, strong in the, in the case of EV drivers asking for automated payments of the car for charging. And it also drives you know, demand for EVs, for example. So it has a, a strong positive impact on positive purchasing decisions for an EV. If you can show that it's really easy not only to find charging, but also to pay for charging, that is a strong argument to buy an EV. And that's, by the way, one of the advantages that Tesla currently have in that market and where all the other guys, all the other uh, manufacturers of electric vehicles are um, racing and scrambling to catch up with Tesla um, to create a Tesla-like experience. And that's what we enable. That's what we support in the car. So that those were just a few highlights. Maybe one comparison, which I find particularly interesting, is the level of trust that consumers have in their car manufacturers as a provider of payment services. And when we did that in 2019, we asked the same question. And depending on the geography, we were somewhere between 9 and 15% um, of consumers that trusted their OEM as a payment provider. The comparable values for PayPal and MasterCard Visa, which we also asked, were in the 50s and 60s. So car manufacturers were not considered a trusted payment provider. That has changed significantly. In Europe, the trust level has doubled. In the U.S., it has quadrupled. U.S. drivers trust the car manufacturers now as a payment provider. And that's something that is highly significant and drives usage as well. And what, what do you think that's down to, that change in the, the attitude and trust level? I think it's examples. I think it also has to do uh, with Tesla in a way. 
So automated payments um, through the Tesla charging network. And um, we've seen communication there as well and initial examples of where OEMs actually offer payments and where they position themselves differently. So we've seen marketing in the space. And the next element is that during COVID, contactless payment, obviously, mm -hmm. in terms of demand from consumers, has gone through the roof. And that also leads, obviously, uh, to a higher level of trust for contactless payment solutions that people didn't necessarily appreciate that much before COVID. And if I look, you know, I'm German. If I look at Germany before COVID, the Germans loved their euros, uh, you know, coins and bills. That was it. Uh, they wouldn't even t uh, use credit cards. That's different now. People are now using Apple Pay, other contactless um, payment solutions, et cetera. So things have changed significantly during COVID. And that has an impact on, on mobility and transport as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a very cash-heavy market. I mean, you know, obviously, the, the attitudes are different across all the different geographies you've mentioned. And uh, but I suppose expectation to continue having a, a digital experience as a result of smartphone usage is there across all the markets, I would say. So absolutely. And where is the Parker Media solution actually currently available? Our solution is available in, in terms of geographies in Europe, North America, and China, where we offer in-car payments with our OEM partners. The partners that we have solutions with that are like today are um, BMW and Mercedes, Volkswagen Group with Skoda. Then we've recently announced Hyundai, Hyundai Motor Group, or Hyundai. And then we also work with Honda for in-car payments in China. So it's a nice portfolio of very relevant brands that trust us with in-car payments, where we deliver these services to their consumers. Can we talk a bit about the actual payment strategy itself and how you cooperate and partner with PSPs, the back end? Yeah. So what we do is actually a three-tiered approach. So we offer a solution that is an OEM SSO solution, because one critical thing that we saw in our own past is that it's important that the users do not have to uh, type in there are credit card details or uh, payment card details several times. They want one central wallet, and that wallet then needs to be usable across different merchants and different services. Mm -hmm. That's a critical point. Bring your own account doesn't work in the car. We've seen that. We've seen it ourselves at Volvo. That was a bring your own account solution. Doesn't work. It works technically, but it doesn't work right. for the consumer. That's in the of, point. In terms of adoption and customer yes. usage. Yeah. As, yeah, the, the critical elements don't work. A technology works, but the other things don't work. Okay. And then, so single sign-on is a critical one. The next one is what we do is we do not only offer the payment solution, but we bring the inventory as well. So we aggregate the inventory and parking, whether it's street parking or car parks, mm. like parking garages, parking lots, or charging stations, fuel station, et cetera. So we bring the inventory, we aggregate the merchants, we abstract the complexity because mm -hmm. it's, it's a nightmare out there. It's a complete mess. So somebody has to abstract that complexity, manage it also 
in terms of operational management, operational aggregation. And then we provide that to the car manufacturer for an integration into the vehicle. And there, it's all about creating a UX or enabling, I would say, a UX that is seamless, frictionless as part of the driving experience, which means that it has to be part of the map in the vehicle. It has to be part of a navigation experience, a location experience, and it needs to be, or it should use uh, several interfaces. So the graphical interface, but also the voice interface. So you have a combination of the interfaces that are available in the car. Sometimes you need voice because you cannot use your screen. And then the, the last element, which is not to be underestimated, is in terms of driving user engagement yeah. from a, we call it v-commerce, vehicle commerce perspective, you need to nudge the driver. Uh, they need the little nudge on the shoulder saying, you could pay uh, using your car for this parking or for charging or whatever. And that's what we do by leveraging vehicle sensor data in real time to create nudges, as we call it, to prompts and triggers to drive the transaction volume. So that's that part. Now, the payment piece itself underneath is the wallet. So we offer a wallet. And when we say wallet, it's basically a method of storing method of payment detail. So it's right. not a top-up wallet. Sure. Two types of wallets. One is pass-through and one is a more of a top-up idea. So you have to fund the yeah. account and then... Yeah, we don't do that. Right. So we don't hold funds for consumers, mm. anything of that sort. It's pure mm. pass-through. Yeah. And, and then we orchestrate the payments. And oh, orchestrating right. payments means that the merchants that we have all have established PSP relationships. Right. And initially, some of the car OEMs thought that they could just set a scenario up, work with one PSP, and then have all the merchants set up merchant accounts at that PSP slash acquirer. Yeah. That doesn't work. Sure. That's a, that's a non-starter. And therefore, what we do is we route the relevant information, whether it's a token, network token, or PCI token, to the P that is in charge of the specific service or product that the user pays for in order to enable the capturing of the relevant amount. Yes. That's kind of the, the 40,000 foot description of what we do there. And we're PCI DSS compliant, so we can hold the credit card information, the, the payment card information on file, and which enables us to do this. And then we work with partners in terms of the PSPs that we integrate with. Of course, uh, or orchestration is a bit of a state-of-the-art technology or, or, or topic right now. So, so it's interesting to hear you actually mention it and the fact that you're orchestrating it in that way, or presumably an in-house orchestration platform, or is, do you orchestrate via a, a third party or an external partner? Well, the answer is both, but uh, most of what we currently do is via our in-house orchestration mm. platform. And that's also where we see things going because very frankly, the orchestration platforms that are out there, and there are some good companies out there, no doubt, yeah. but they are not really set up to serve the specific needs that the OEM world and the vehicle-centric service providers actually have. Mm. So this is not standard e-commerce for thousands of small merchants. This is a very different story. 
where we're dealing with merchants on an international scale. It's always global, or at least Europe and North America. And it's in some cases extremely fragmented. So if you think of the on-street payment market, which is in many cases set up in a way where the cities are the merchant of record, you can imagine what that means in terms of routing payments to city merchant accounts. Absolutely. It's super complex. So so that's something that is what we are doing there for our customers. And I have to admit that initially we only did that to allow our customers to actually use our aggregation platform because without the payments, the aggregation doesn't make any sense if the consumers can't pay for it. So that's kind of how we started this. And now it turns out that many of our OEM customers actually do not have the payment capabilities in-house that they thought they had. Mm. And they're asking us to deal in particular with what they call third-party merchants. So the merchants that are not the internal merchants that can use their standard PSP where they have their you know merchant accounts and everything's easy. But uh, for third-party uh, merchants, um, they usually do not have solutions. So it sounds like the payment piece was like a, it was a bit of a hindrance initially to actually developing oh, yeah. the solution, but then it's turned absolutely. into a real value driver for you, having solved yeah, absolutely. that problem. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm the first one to admit that. We didn't start out as a fintech. Absolutely yeah. not. We started out as somebody or as a company that provides inventory to drivers, as I said before. But if you want to do that, and if drivers want to pay, you have to provide the payment piece as well. And when we started doing that, it became evident fairly quickly that actually most OEMs do not have what it needs to actually support those payment flows that are needed for this particular use case with third-party merchants. Yeah, I, I understand that you have a geofencing technology, which is quite interesting. Yeah, we use, yeah well, the geofencing is something that we use for... for that has, that's not really something that we use for payments as such, but it's something that we use to drive en engagement of the users with the service. So what we do there is we uh, just imagine you're parking in a street, parallel parking. We call that on-street yep. instead of off-street. Off-street means you drive into a garage or car park, as you would say in the UK. And so for on-street parking, you drive along you know, the parallel parked cars, there is an opening, you yeah. park your car there. And what the car then does is it prompts you. But how does the car know that you are actually parked and that you're parked in a place that is a paid space? And here geofencing comes into place because we create around every paid parking bay or set of parking bays, we create a geofence that when the car drives into it, then the gear shift goes into P and the ignition goes off. You get a prompt that says you're parked in a paid street parking bay. Do you want to pay for parking now? And we, we have this in a very granular way that we create a virtual fence around a set of bays for parallel parking for every street where we offer the service. That's fascinating. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot. I, uh, well, my car is eight lot years old. So, yeah, my car is eight years old, and I mean, it has sat now. But I mean, honestly, this is some. I mean, you know, presumably it's only available the most recent cars, right? Or well, this technology is available in cars as old as model years twenty seventeen, 
So, and a lot of cars actually get retrofit for it. So Hyundai in North America, for example, retrofit their vehicles. Uh, that's the beauty of the software or partially software-defined vehicle that is connected and can retrofit, things like this. So it depends on the strategy of the OEM. Some of the OEMs do not want to retrofit, others do. It really depends on how they want to play this from a commercial perspective on their end. Awesome. So tell me about the, obviously we've been speaking a lot about the, the, the current situation, which sounds pretty futuristic already, but what does the future hold for uh, Parkopedia and, and the automotive industry in terms of pay, in, car, in car commerce, do you think? Well, the sky's the limit, obviously, but um, let's be more realistic. So what we see is that more and more cars will be fully connected, meaning that they will actually have capabilities um, to interact with a backend, with the cloud in a meaningful way and in a uh, continuous way. That enables solutions that are necessary for the commercial strategies that the OEMs put in place. And it also enables additional services for the providers of parking, charging, fueling, tolling. We see a lot of tolling solutions coming our way because right now, I mean, you live in the UK. Why would you not have the congestion charge running through your car? And of course, absolutely. Get, get or, even, or, even you, or even ULES, right? The ultra-low emission zone. Yes. So, and there, there our geofencing comes into play because it would yeah. be super easy yeah. to create a probably. polygon. Yeah. yeah, properly. The car drives into it. You get a warning. You will be charged for ULES yeah. now that amount or attention. You're in ULES, uh, et cetera. So all of these things are fairly straightforward and the coverage of services is going to grow significantly in those four domains and potentially beyond that. Now, as I said earlier, in the short term, we are predominantly the aggregator of third-party merchants for vehicle-centric services for the, for the OEMs. So we take away the headache that they currently have in terms of dealing with parking operators, with you know, charging operators, et cetera. But we also take away the pain that automotive integrations are for those parking providers and those charging providers, because every OEM is different. All of their payment infrastructures are slightly different. They all have their bells and whistles and requirements, et cetera. And that leads to integration effort, deployment effort. Car manufacturing has a lot to do with security and driver safety, et cetera, et cetera. And all of these things require auto-grade processes on the side of the supplier. Now, most of the parking operators or the charging operators are not even close to being auto-grade in the delivery and in the deployment. And why should they be? Uh, and then um, having to do this for 20 different car manufacturers is a huge pain for them. So that's where we come into play and say, you know what? You integrate once with us, we integrate 20 times with the OEMs. And for the OEMs, it's you integrate once with us and you get all these merchants in one go. So that's this, the standard proposition of a platform, of a multi-sided platform that we offer to both sides of the equation today. And then you could say, you know, why stop at vehicle-centric services? And we have questions from our customers. Could you add the legendary Starbucks to the service. 
and would say, yeah, you bring it, here's the API, that's how it works, but we're not going to go up there and recruit, you know, source QSR, so quick serve restaurants or do deals with Starbucks here and whoever else is out there in terms of coffee chains or whatever. Uh, we're not going to do that. That's not Parkopedia. We have the interfaces for those companies to um, leverage what we have in the car. Yes, absolutely. But um, we're not out there doing that. We focus on our core, which is vehicle-centric services at the moment. Yeah. What the world will look like five or 10 years from now, well, let's check back in, Martin, at that time and discuss what uh, uh, this is going to look like in 2035. Right now, it's all about getting the coverage up, making it a ubiquitous proposition, making it as frictionless as possible, because, you know, one, very honestly, one problem we have are the legal departments of the car manufacturers, because they are conditioned in a way that they are super, super, super cautious. And I can understand that in a way. So instead of doing one-click purchasing, they still have a fairly complicated enrollment process and they require the consumer to push buttons in my book five times too many or three times too many because they are very concerned uh, you know, about potential litigation. You know, In particular in the US, car OEMs are always a great target for those lawyers. And then they are, because obviously punitive damages, it's a lucrative business to, to go after car OEMs. And therefore, they're super careful in terms of what they allow in terms of user flow, in terms of user interaction. And that's not always helpful in terms of, you know, creating a frictionless experience. Yeah, and that's was something. Also, no, I was just going to drop it. I was also thinking about chargeback risk, the, the, the need to authenticate and verify the identity of, of the actual card holder before the payment to avoid a chargeback. Yeah, well, we do have, we do have one advantage. The wallets are tied to the VIN, to the vehicle identification number. It's not something you have on a burner phone. Right. You know, when the wallet is tied to a hundred thousand dollar vehicle. I um, know who it is. We know exactly who it is. There is no messing around with it. And um, so from a fraud perspective, we don't see issues okay. at all. What you can have is that uh, you have a lack of funds when you don't pre-audit, for example, or you don't pre-audit sufficiently, or there are other decline reasons, and then you have to, you know, rerun, et cetera. Things like that do happen. But when I compare our decline rates for in-car with what is common in the industry, sure. uh, we're much lower and what the industry has in the relevant segments that we're in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a secure payment, like you say, it's tied down to actual physical object and an owner of the object. So I suppose yeah, the, it's, the, the issue is a bit more comfortable with that scenario. I mean, I'm sure that there will be cases going forward where somebody finds a loophole somewhere. The, the critical thing is that when it comes to fraud, I'm, I'm talking about, and the, the critical thing is that we monitor it closely, that we have the broad risk uh, mechanisms in place, and uh, that we detect it early enough and then uh, close those um, potential loopholes. I don't think there are many because, as I said before, 
You know, when it's tied to a vehicle that is $50,000 or $100,000, that's going to be difficult. And is that it's part of the Parkopedia solution? Is that part I'm, of the Parkopedia solution? The transaction monitoring, the fraud, fraud prevention pieces? Um, you... We monitor transactions, but we work closely, obviously, with the uh, PSPs and the issuers to support that. We cannot do everything on our end. Uh, we can support things, but we cannot do everything on our end. But so far, I have to say, I think the issuers and the, in particular, this, the schemes can be quite happy with us because, as I said before, the level of decline rates and issues that we've had is very low. Absolutely. And it's a growing segment for them, right? It's, it's new GDP volume, so it's beneficial to the industry. But yeah, I would say so. I would argue there are some companies that think that there could be an issue that it reduces or could potentially reduce some of the margins they have with smaller merchants, et cetera, in direct transactions. But frankly, I think that is transitional and we will see, everybody will see that this is actually an addition and a growing market for them. Okay. Awesome. Hans, thank you so much for your uh, time today. It's been fascinating. I find this topic absolutely fascinating. It really is an enormous transition the industry is going through. So, uh, um, and the fact that it's going from, like you said at the beginning, going from sort of hardware to software, essentially, right? Yeah. As a business model, I think it's just absolutely amazing. So thank you, Gabe. Perhaps you can just let the audience know how best to contact you if they want to find out more. Yeah. If you are looking for us, then go to business.parkopedia.com. Or you could also obviously look at our consumer websites, but the easiest is business.parkopedia.com. Or we are uh, prominently available on LinkedIn. So that's also an easy way of contacting us. Perfect. Well, thanks again. See you next time. Thank you, Martin. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To hear more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. It helps and means a lot. Also, I welcome any questions, ideas or suggestions, so feel free to make contact and say hello. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or at edgardunn.com. You can send me a message there or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgardunn.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I will see you next time.